0: Baruch Hashem, you're a bad Jew.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. I am so excited that you chose this podcast. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of Jewish learning podcasts out there. You chose this one today. We have an incredibly fun subject for you. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. But before we actually introduce the subject, Ann Toback is with me today from circle.org. Anne, how are you doing today?
0: I am doing great. Thank you, Chaz.
1: Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Um, before we introduce what Circle is, before we talk about what the subject of the episode is, you know more than anybody that there is the Bad Jude Challenge, telling your life story in four minutes. Are you ready?
0: Challenge accepted
1: i love it love the energy okay
0: so uh i'm Ann tobek i am a lifelong activist i was born into a family with over a century of union activism i was born in flatbush brooklyn and i moved to seacliff long island when i was four the first action i remember taking part in was protesting for the release of soviet jewry it was in 1975 on First Avenue by the UN, and I was literally on my father's shoulders. And I can still remember in my in my mind anyway. I remember being surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, and I remember the power, and the community, and the solidarity, and our and the strength of being part of that group. Um, in elementary school, I fought for the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, and I. Advocated. I was an ardent feminist then, still am. In junior high, I joined SANE, which was the National Committee for a Sane Nuclear Power Policy. And one of the biggest arguments I had with my family, with my parents, was I wanted them to sign a slip so I could get chained. I could be part of a civil disobedience um, action in front of the Shoreham nuclear power plant. SANE and SANE and I. We're planning on going there and chaining ourselves and getting arrested, demanding that there be more accountability and safety uh, for the community. My dad said, "Um, I will go with you. We can protest, but you may not get chained to the fence. I will not uh, take a chance that my 14 year old will spend the night in jail. I thought this was incredibly mean spirited, but we did protest. Um, 25 years later, I uh, participated in a civil disobedience action with uh, brothers and sisters in the fast food worker fast food worker industry. Um, we were fighting for a $15 minimum wage in New York. I was arrested and I spent five hours in jail downtown New York. I did not spend the night in jail and we did achieve a $15 minimum wage. Um, I became a labor lawyer and, um, and then I ultimately became the assistant executive director of the Writers Guild of America East And I led the Writers Guild uh, strike uh, on the ground in New York uh, from 2007 until 2008. And I was really proud to do it. And I actually revisited the Writers Guild picket lines just a few weeks ago on behalf of the Workers Circle. Um, In 2008, I changed careers because as much as I love and continue to love union solidarity, I wanted to do impactful activism, um, teach people to make commitments to be impactful lifelong activists through a Jewish lens. I came to the workers' circle because their values and their heritage resonated with me. They were founded by Eastern European labor activists and they were deeply committed to Yiddish-kite traditions of resistance, resilience, and culture. Um, The workers' circle was founded by union activists who came to the United States fleeing autocracy and they wanted the protections of a democracy in the United States by and for the people. Today, um, I lead the workers' circle and we're fighting for that same democracy immersed in our Yiddish kite heritage. I've had the privilege to connect directly to our Yiddish roots through um, many trips to Eastern Europe where um, we take groups and connect with a thousand years of life and together at the workers' circle we work for ashenra and Velt for Allah a better world for all and all of that is inspired by a thousand years of uh, Yiddish life that came before us so um that's me um bringing us up to today
1: awesome awesome well, well done <laughs> with only did a I two- do it? You did it with only <laughs> a few seconds in the clock. You used your time very economically. You were very, very well spoken. And I love your story. I, I think you have that rebel spirit, but also, I mean, really, beyond just being a rebel, that's a very basic way of saying you're an activist. And that's really inspiring. And the work that you're doing is really incredible for the United States. So kudos to you, Koha Kavod. This episode on Bad Jew, you know, only one other time on this show have we ever done a Yiddish word of the day. And... If you for those who watch on youtube there's always a little pop-up that says the hebrew word of the day at a different point because i like to teach little bits of hebrew along the way it's fun it's a fun cute way to get people engaged with the language of of what what judaism is right Mm -hmm. now i remember also growing up i would have friends that would come up to me and they would say oh so you're jewish does that mean you speak jewish Right. And I would say, no, I I don't even speak Hebrew. And then I later on realized the right response was no, speaking Jewish is not a thing. But aha, it actually is because that's what Yiddish (laughs) literally translates to. The word for Yiddish means Jewish. So we hear Yiddish words used in modern day more in a comical sense. We hear it used when our friends, you know, might call each other a schmuck, you know, when you know, your mother needs you to go grab a schmata from the cupboard to go clean off the table, so tabletop surface. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different words in Yiddish, but we don't really hear it in modern day society anymore. So Anne, as an organization that's very familiar with Yiddish, I have to ask you, does Yiddish even matter?
0: Does Yiddish matter? What a great question! Um, so should I just say yes, <laughs> and we we we're done, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs> it
0: matters. It matters very much.
1: <laughs> but why? Why does it matter? We're only using it for small little expressions here and there.
0: So, um, if if it, with your permission, I would expand Yiddish from a length from just a language which does matter to. A culture, a people. It's the language of a people, a proud people who, millions and millions of people who lived in Eastern Europe and whose traditions and legacy continues to impact us every day, every Jew, every day from the United States through Israel and beyond. So it's so much of who we are. You to be Jewish in the United States. And um, you could argue maybe even not to be Jewish in the United States, Yiddish impacts you um, from our food to our language, to our literature and our activists and our traditions.
1: Okay, fascinating. (laughs) So where does, so, I mean, I I think you've kind of made a bold claim here. I'm gonna respect it. You said it's a people.
0: Yes, it's part of the people. Yes, it's part
1: of the Jewish people. Yes. Okay. And what part does that play exactly?
0: So, you know, Yiddish has been around since for a thousand years. Let's start there. And it was the majority language spoken by the Jews of Eastern Europe. And there were millions of uh, Jews in Eastern Europe um, prior to 1939, prior to the Holocaust. So um, if you go back to, let's say, 1938 in Eastern Europe, so you're talking about Poland, Russia, Lithuania, and I I have to condition myself and say um, all of these borders were constantly changing. You know, you just I often talk about the kingdom of Poland, uh, which existed in the 17 and 1800s and before, um, which which incorporated so many of the places we now think of as Eastern Europe or the pale of Jewish Settlement. Um, millions, the, the language of the Jewish people in those days was Yiddish. Um, in 1938, 11 million people spoke Yiddish in the world. Um, of course, the majority in Eastern Europe. Um, today, uh, it's between half a million to a million. But if we go back um, to the early, uh, the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, um, that language connected people across borders um, and and was uh, a major part of the identity, just like English is a part of our identity, but more than that, it was the language that we lived, that the Eastern European Jews lived.
1: Fascinating. So, you know, in the Renaissance era, there was something called the Silk Road, where many languages and cultures merged for the first time, right. uh, starting to trade, right? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what the, the purpose that Yiddish served? in the sense that it allowed different communities to speak to each other for the first time
0: sure yes and um we were a people um at times on the move Um, be it refugees there's persecution there's also just um regular uh, movement to find um, economic uh you know the economics of supporting your family so um our people moved um from place to place uh to to make sure that they they could um find work and one of the ways they were able to connect with the um jewish community was by sharing this language yiddish
1: so here's something i found that was very interesting i i uh, from my jewish learning it's really a wonderful resource i keep drawing Mm -hmm. screenshots from my jewish learning but they have this article that talks about the origins of yiddish and you know, they talk about in early Ashkenazi societies, which it means Eastern European Jews, Hebrew was the language of the Bible and prayer, Aramaic was the mm-hmm. language of learning, and Yiddish was the language of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Scholars refer to this as the internal trilingualism of Ashkenaz, which yeah. it never occurred to me that you know the the Europeans the European Jews who lived, you know, in Lithuania and Poland, they really had to learn about almost four different languages is that correct
0: yeah there were multilingual people of course many of the jews in eastern europe were i say middlemen but there were middle women too they reported to the ruling class they were the people who oversaw the books or as we if you want we can talk about they ran the inns they were the innkeepers they they had to be communicating with multiple groups of people and they had to Be multilingual in those days. And Yiddish, though, was the connector of the Jewish people. It helped us um, communicate with each other and continued to well into the 20th century. In the early 1900s, when you have the Eastern European Jews coming en masse to the United States, they spoke Yiddish to each other, be that if they came from Poland or Russia or Lithuania, which, or, you know, fill in, you know, fill in the blank. Yiddish was spoken here by the immigrant population.
1: You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite jokes, which is, uh, what do you call someone who speaks more than four languages? Um,
0: multilingual.
1: Polyglot. What do you call <laughs> someone who speaks three languages?
0: Trilingual.
1: That's right. What do you call someone who speaks two languages?
0: Duolingo, duolingual.
1: Bilingual. Yeah. Bilingual, and, what call- <laughs> and What do you, what do you call someone who speaks one language? American. American. That's it. You knew <laughs> the joke. There we go.
0: I, I, I'm, a, I'm an American.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for us, American, you know, we, you know, we certainly have this experience of hearing Yiddish kind of tossed around in different movies. If you watch the Borat films, Borat, you know, who's played by yes. Sasha Baron Cohen. Very well, widely known as a Jew he throws in yiddish into his uh, fake arabic language yeah. <laughs> all the time to kind of throw some jewish humor into his characters that he does and it's really geniusly done so that's how most americans experience yiddish which is really fascinating but what i'm realizing from what you're saying is that yiddish is a diaspora language mm-hmm. i think that's really interesting i've never thought of it that way and i think that really becomes very apparent Back in that article, My Jew is Learning, they did, They also have a section about um, what happens to Yiddish post-Holocaust. Mm. And so they talk about how the Holocaust destroyed most of the population. In America after the war, immigrant parents were often hesitant to speak Yiddish with their children because yeah. they thought it would single them out. So they actually went into the intense pressures of Americanization. Yeah. But the last half century brought many positive developments in Yiddish. It has been seriously studied as an academic discipline. and Yiddish literature has been recognized as great world literature exemplified by Isaac Besheva Singer received the Nobel prize for literature in 1978.
0: Yes, that, that was incredible. It, if I can add, so at the worker's circle, we teach Yiddish. We're a social justice organization, but we're rooted in our Yiddish kite. And, uh, we are one of the largest Yiddish language programs in the world. We have, we teach over, um, 50 classes, uh, three semesters, uh, a year. Right now we're in the summer semester, which is a four-week program. But in the fall, winter, and, this, and, and then winter, spring, we have over 50 classes a semester all online. People come to engage in Yiddish today because they wanna to reconnect to that language and that culture. A lot of people come to us who are in their 70s now and they all say, I'm, I'm learning Yiddish. I kind of understand it because my parents used to speak it when they didn't want me to understand. And so, yes, Yiddish was both that secret language, and of course the kids learned a lot of it, but not all of it. And now they have this desire to reconnect with that language that was their heritage and and was so much a part of their childhood. We can't overstate the uh, shadow cast on our people by the Holocaust. We were, the Jews were the victims of a genocide. Six million were murdered. The chilling effect of having Seen it from afar. Um, how many people grew up without knowing somebody who survived or knowing a family who were murdered? We were singled out for a genocide, and the people who were uh, subject to that genocide spoke Yiddish. Yiddish was part of the the culture that was all that was all but exterminated, but not exterminated. We 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 succeed, we, we are still here. We are
1: still. Uh, or, here.
0: And and, and a key Yiddish word that we use at the Workers' Circle to inspire us is mir zaynendur, we are here. And um, it's words from the partisan hymn. It was written by um, a man of blessed memory um, named Hirsch Glick. He was a poet, he was in the uh, Vilna ghetto, in Vilnius, Vilna ghetto, Mm. and word came to them of the great uh, Warsaw ghetto uprising and um, he wrote an anthem uh, with the words, we are here and um, it speaks to who we are. And um, at the worker's circle, we wear it emblazoned on our backs, on our shirts. Um, uh, We use it all the time. It, it, It spoke to this sense of these people imprisoned in a ghetto for the crime of being Jewish, of being who they are saying, we are here. They knew that most of them would not survive. Hirschglick, unfortunately, uh, was murdered and they were here fighting for a better world and looking forward to people like us who would be here remembering them and putting our culture forward today proudly. So and Doe is his words of inspiration.
1: really is inspiring. And as you were describing that, I really did get chills. Any kind Mm -hmm. of empowerment during such difficult times of the Holocaust is absolutely wild. So thank you for sharing that. I have a question, though. So Yiddish did take on kind of a reignition. It it kind of got reborn shortly after the Holocaust eventually. But I'm sure Israel had a part of that as well. One thing I'm curious about is that because in Eastern Europe, Yiddish became the everyday language. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Yiddish become the everyday language in Israel?
0: Well, that's a great question. And it was one that was debated by the founders of Israel. There were very strong arguments that Yiddish should be the language of Israel when it, when it was founded. The decision was made to make Hebrew that language. And, and actually, a lot of, I understand, a lot of Orthodox members were very strongly objecting to Hebrew being the language of Israel, because as they they said at the time, I mean, this is the language of the Bible, of the Torah. We don't want swear words in Hebrew. We don't want disrespect in Hebrew. Yiddish was the language of the people. I can't speak to all the specifics, but I believe there was a sense of starting anew. And there was a, a, a difficulty then in how to start anew after experiencing such um, an incredible tragedy. And, and some of the decision was based on wanting a fresh start, a new language, a new people, a strong people, and you can go from there. Uh, so Yiddish was not chosen as the, the voice of the people. And as you see, if when you go to Israel today, there are swear words and um, and uh, risque uh, films in Hebrew, and, and there's a lot of a lot of um, religious people who find this incredibly objectionable um, and they themselves continue to adopt Yiddish as their primary language um, and um, we lost uh, a part of our heritage um, by not adopting uh, Yiddish as our language. I mean we we looked forward but I think as a people and I'll include the Jews of the United States in so many ways we stopped looking, at our eastern european past and that's something i'm committed to with the workers circle is reconnecting with that thousand years of life uh, because that's our identity too and and i want to acknowledge there's um hundreds of thousands of jews who don't who don't trace their ancestry to eastern europe there we are um, a diasporic uh world um and we come from all over the world and i don't and, and in no way am i suggesting um, Ashkenazic Jews are the only uh, direction for our history. But that history is so important and turn and only looking, as I did growing up um, in the, in what I call the shadow of the Holocaust, to Eastern Europe as a place where we died versus a place where we lived, um, I think cut off a very important part of who we are. And um, readopting Yiddish, uh, reconnecting with that heritage is filling our Jewish identity, making it whole and, and meaningful and inspiring.
1: And, you know, one thing I'm picking up on from what you were describing is, you know, Yiddish is a very Ashkenazi language, Um, as, as we've pointed out very point blank, like it came from these different origins in German and Hebrew and Russian and even some French in there. There's there's a Mm -hmm. whole blend of languages inside Yiddish. It's kind of this amalgamation, if you will. The one thing I'm picking up on is that, you know, Yiddish is very much a European language. It's an amalgamation of Hebrew, and um, there's uh, there's Russian and Polish and German, even a little French in there. It's really just, let's take a bunch of languages, throw it in a blender and hope it works, which it did work. It worked for <laughs> yes. a long, long time. Yes. So what I, what I find really fascinating is that, you know, that also, I wonder if there was ever a disconnect when an Ashkenazi Jew met a Sephardic Jew or a Mizrahi Jew back in the day. Now, Sephardic, of course, means, you know, Spain and northern Africa and uh, Mizrahi means African. Um, so, So we're looking at, you know, other diaspora, other diasporic cultures now blending in with that. I guess that's another reason why. Yiddish didn't become the language of the Jewish people in mm-hmm. in Israel as well, because they could mm-hmm. all, talk, in the same way that Yiddish allowed for the crossroads of different cultures to blend in Europe, now with only the Jews, Hebrew was the only language that helped them relate to each other. So At that sure. point, language is incredibly important. Yeah. Now, l- let me ask you this. I want to shift gears for a second. I'm a classic American Jew. I'm just creating a, hy- a hypothetical here, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanna learn Yiddish. What is the best way to start learning Yiddish to speaking it fluently?
0: Well, I, I mean, as as the CEO of the Workers Circle, I would say one, one option, and I'm, there are others, is to just come to the Workers Circle, come to the circle.org and sign up for a Yiddish class. Um, we make it really easy. Um, all of our classes are virtual. We've been teaching online since 2014. Um, and we teach about uh, over a thousand people um, at any given time. So come on and sign up for Yiddish 101. That's the easiest way. Um, we even have short classes. If you don't uh, read uh, Hebrew script, uh, we have short classes to teach you because um, the, the the letters are the same for Hebrew and Yiddish. So. No, come and just just explore once a week um, for eight to 10 weeks and and learn some basics. There's other things you can do. Um, You can dabble in Duolingo. That's an app. Uh, If you just want to try a bissel, a little bit of Yiddish, go to Duolingo and sign up. Um, It's a lot of people start that way and then they come and they want to take a formal program or um, check out on circle.org our events. We have um, dozens. Over the year of free events, and a good portion of them are celebrating Yiddish culture. I mean, we we really love it. From I just did a program with the Museum of Jewish Heritage on uh kosher pickles uh, <laughs> and the heritage. I mean that's a that's something that was huge in Eastern Europe, but for a lot of reasons, including nutritional reasons. Um they're they have a, a live bacteria akin to what's in yogurt. So our Ancestors ate them to stay healthy and to preserve uh, vegetables. And I did a whole program on that. Um, I've done programs on Jews and liquor, which um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, 85% of the Jewish population in the kingdom of Poland, that's Russia, Poland, um, in the uh, 1700s, um, if they lived in the countryside, were involved in the liquor industry. We were a major part of the liquor industry. and when we were the people who ran um, inns, which were also where they brewed uh, or distilled liquor spirits. So um, we talk about that. That's a part of who we are. That's that thousand years of life. Um, we have some fun and we also are very serious. We talk about political movements and um, uh, we certainly talk about the Holocaust and, and how we survived and, 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 the, and how we, and, and where we didn't um, very, sadly so the organization is all about the life um putting people in front of us re- remembering those lives and um come to us take you know dip your toe and we're not the only organization who does that there's others out there um but uh we I, I think we're we're a nice way to start um reconnecting with with yiddish Uh, You don't have to be Jewish to do it. We have non-Jews who come to us. We have people who are Spardic. And uh, we even um, have uh, taught some classes that make those connections to the Spardim and Mizrahim. We are very, um, we we know that we're not the the only um, way to be Jewish and we really like to introduce people to the different traditions.
1: Love that. Love that. Now, I have a really dumb question that I probably should have asked at the very, very beginning, but I have to ask it and I've always been too embarrassed to ask it in public space. Wait. Is why, is why I have this podcast. Yiddishkeit, what does that word mean?
0: So um, that is great because um, we've had our own internal uh, conversations about it. To me, Yiddishkeit, and when I use it, it means the whole uh, Yiddish culture heritage tradition. It means it all. It's talking about this, uh, you know, it's not enough to say Yiddish language. Yiddishkeit incorporate, you know, it puts it all together. Um, In other contexts, some people use Yiddishkeit to talk about religious, which is not what I'm talking about. And um, when you talk uh, to people like the Workers Circle and others in what's really, we're talking about a secular Yiddish um, movement. And that's, where we're focusing is on the way people lived, on, on what made our people tick in um, Eastern Europe. So when we talk about Yiddishkeit, uh, we like to talk about everything: their values, their traditions, their heritage.
1: Fascinating. And is there a different definition today outside of the organization?
0: Well, um, I've been I, I I I ask a lot of people, "What do you think when you think of Yiddishkeit?" And that tends to be it. But there is, uh, I think, amongst um, the ultra orthodox, um, the Haredim, uh, they they may use Yiddish Kite more as um, to talk about their own observance, and of course, they are Yiddish speakers um, as as a group. So, um, but in outside of that, I, I think most of us are using Yiddish Kite as I am to talk about the people.
1: Fascinating, fascinating. And for those who do want to start learning Yiddish. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. But I'm pulling up a little uh, image here of some very basic Yiddish <laughs> words to start with. We have words like putz when you're being a putz. Um, Shluk? Sh- uh, I actually don't know that one. Or schlach? Shlach.
0: Shlach. It's um, it's uh, shlach is is I think it's um, like uh, <laughs> without value. Shlach. It's shlach.
1: Oh, okay. Um, it's I it's feel- cheap.
0: These Shit. are a lot
1: of bad words. <laughs> oh, there there are a few. There are a few bad words here. Yeah, oh, I mean the just word latkes, of course, is a. Good Wait, word. I just noticed the word Shrek. I know that Shrek, yeah. the movie, is yes. a metaphor for anti-Semitism. Is that where the word Shrek comes from?
0: I, I think uh, I think it does come from uh, from Yiddish, and I don't believe Shrek means anti-Semitism. But I I, ha- I can't I, I'd have to zero in. Um, I see Chachka. I see a lot, there's a lot of, but um, yeah, shrek sounds also like um, uh, something with a questionable value, but we better look at that before we... Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So I I just noticed this, this was totally accidental, but shrek, the, romantic, the romanization of the Yiddish word, uh, related to the German Schreck, meaning fear or fright.
0: Fear. Oh, fr- oh that's perfect. That's yeah. Perfect.
1: So, so I did. So, this is a side note. I did know that the movie Shrek was actually yes. made as a um, as a way to describe what anti-Semitism is like. So I didn't the,
0: realize that. So, so, all those nice
1: Germ- all those nice European fairy tales that are in there. That's all symbolically chosen for a reason. So, you want, there's a reason why wow. European fairy tales are chosen as opposed to other. Um, ethnicities and their fairy tales as well. I thought that was really interesting. Start with those Yiddish words, especially the bad words. Um, And then from there, go to circle.org. Be sure to get involved with the organization, follow their programming, get in contact with Anne at info at circle.org to start learning your Yiddish and to start your Yiddish kite journey today. So- And
0: have some fun doing it. And And have have some fun. That's the key piece is, We lived, we laughed, we celebrated, we mourned, um, we resisted, and we were resilient, all in Yiddish. And um, it's a way to inspire all of those experiences and traditions today.
1: Don't be a putz. Sign up today. That's all I got to say. And it was really a pleasure having you here on Bad Jew. By the way, do you know how to say Bad Jew in Yiddish? Just out of curiosity.
0: I don't. I don't. It's something, Maybe.
1: It's something Yiddish? I don't know. Anyway, it, we'll,
0: I, 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 we can look it up after. We I mean, I I'd, I'd hate to, I, I, we were, I was saying to you before we started there's no bad Jews.
1: There's um, no bad we're, Jews.
0: We're good people and um, we we strive to do better.
1: Yes, that is absolutely <laughs> correct. Thank you again so much for being on Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a Bad Jew. For those who are listening, this question, does Yiddish even matter in modern-day society, was asked in our Bad Jew WhatsApp community. If you are interested, be sure to email me, badjewpod at gmail.com, or go to our Linktree intake form, fill out your information, and we'll add you promptly to that WhatsApp community right away. So with that, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: Zyka Be well.
1: Shalom.